Welcome to Startup Syndrome with me, Julia Delin. And me, Andreas Johansson. The amount of times I've heard like, no, we can't launch this. It's going to hurt our brand. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have a brand yet. <laughs> There's nothing to hurt there. This is a podcast where you get an unfiltered view of Stockholm's vibrant startup scene, also known as one of the greatest in the world. So one of the suggestions that we got for an episode was how do you as a company quickly validate your idea and sort of understand how you adjust your idea based on what the market thinks? Yeah, and when I heard that we had gotten this question, I was thrilled because this is really my bread and butter. I love discussing, getting to market, validating, testing. This I love, unlike secondaries (laughs) from last week. It's funny how we have such different interests. (laughs) But I will will tag along on you this time. Yeah, feel free. Because today we're going to discuss minimum viable products. And also maybe get into minimum lovable products, which is Mm. a slightly newer concept, which people are ranting and raving about. Yeah, I've heard that. So MVP... From someone coming from the sports world, uh, it's not most valuable player, <laughs> but it's uh, quite an established concept within the kind of the startup scene. Uh, mm. And it's a way to test an early iteration of a product without spending too much time and money and effort and getting as early validation as possible. It's like the minimum effort you would put into a product that is still viable to test. Yeah. Minimum viable product. I love this quote from Eric Ries, who's kind of this startup guru, Mm. wrote many good books, Lean Startup, among others. And he says that it is the version of a new product that allows a team to collect the maximum amount of validated learning about customers with the least amount of effort. Mm, I like that. I also love this uh, quote by Reid Hoffman that says, you should be embarrassed by your first MVP. If you're not, you launch too late. Because it also says that It's not only what you do to validate learning, it's what you do to validate learning super, super, super early when you're actually embarrassed to put anything out in the market, but it's so important to put something out in the market so that you learn. And the the reason that you want to do this, that you want to maybe launch something that you are embarrassed to show people, Mm -hmm. is that you want to learn from actual customers as early as possible. Because what you do waiting, pushing that for the future, is that you risk spending time and money and effort for that matter, building something that either people don't want or like building the wrong thing because you haven't really figured out what it is specifically that people are looking for. And oh, how many startups (laughs) we haven't met that have done exactly this, thinking that there is no possibility that you can launch a product that looks this ugly or isn't working the best way possible. And then in the end, they launch it, they get no users and they've run out of money. Yeah. And the amount of times I've heard like, no, we can't launch this. It's going to hurt our brand. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have a brand yet. <laughs> There's nothing to hurt there. What about getting some customers first? Instead? Mm, I Focus love that. that. Mm. I usually make the comparison uh, to like driving and having a map. Getting insights and validated learnings from customers is kind of like having a map while driving. You see, make sure you're driving in the right direction and you can kind of course correct as you go because you continuously can check the Mac and you continuously can check with customers. 
And building something without talking to customers and without having them test is like driving blindly without having a map. I mean, you're only left hoping that you're on the right track. And now we talked so much about validated learning. What is that, really? In some sense, you want to figure out what it is that is valuable for the customer and what you can provide that is valuable. I think a first step is just forming a hypothesis about what problem your customer is experiencing. I mean, who that customer should be, what your target audience is, and how you can provide value by solving that problem. Not yet getting into specifics of like, how should the product look and how should we price it and what different tiers should there be. First, you need to understand that there actually is a problem there that you can solve and kind of A lot of that validation you can do by building nothing at all. You can start by talking to customers, actual customers. And the more lifelike, the better. So, of course, you can start interviewing people and they might tell you that, okay, we're experiencing this problem. And they might tell you that, yeah, this sounds interesting. If you can solve this, I would buy it definitely. But that's less valuable than actually getting signups to a landing page where you kind of tell everyone what your product is supposed to do or someone saying verbally that I'm committing to buying this product. And I mean, the best validated learning is people actually paying you, actually buying the product, even if you haven't built it yet, paying to get early access or committing to a paid pilot program or something. And all these different things tests different hypotheses, right? So either you want to test if the customer is willing to pay for the product or if they actually solve the problem by using your product, or if the product is relevant enough for you to even switch from how else you solve the problem, right? Yeah, and like we mentioned, a lot of these hypotheses you can kind of formulate and then test in different ways without having to build anything. But the purpose of an MVP actually having some type of product is that now you want to test that your product can deliver customer value. So you kind of validated already by understanding the market, talking to customers that there is this problem. You have some scrappy first iteration of a product which you can deliver to customers and now you're testing, okay, can I deliver value to them? Is this solving their problem? And are they happy using it because it alleviates them of whatever challenge or issue they're having? Yeah, I think that a common misunderstanding of what an MVP is, that it's just a smaller version of your product. Like you're still... Um, building something but it's just not with all of the features or you're still designing something that you can sell but it's just in a smaller version but an MVP is really like how do I test if this is valuable to the customer and it doesn't have to be an, an even physical product yeah and part of what you try to learn is what should the MVP be by understanding the problem to its core and understanding what's the smallest, smallest thing I can build or I can do for the customer, which addresses this problem and delivers value. That's definitely starting out in the customer end, starting out in the problem end, rather than coming with a finished idea in your head and trying to scale that down and remove features one by one until you get an MVP in air quotes. Exactly. I think one of the most cool examples of a great MVP is uh, Sappos. Their hypothesis was, we think that people want to buy shoes online. 
And so many people said, no, you want to try them on before. You will always go to a physical store to do it. You're never going to buy shoes online and then get them home before you try them on. And their MVP was basically like a fake storefront with pictures of shoes that they took in an actual store. And then if someone bought it, they went to that store and they they bought the pair of shoes and they sent it to your house. Yeah, so customers would go into an online storefront thinking they were making a purchase and everything was handled automatically. But then an employee literally ran to a store, <laughs> bought the shoes, packaged them and sent them to the customer. Yeah. And I think you have to remember here that this was like 20 plus years ago. This was in the infancy of the internet. And back then it wasn't clear that people were willing to buy clothes or shoes without having seen them or without having tried them on. So this was definitely a, a hypothesis that they had, but they needed to validate that first. Another fun example is Yahoo. I don't know if people remember <laughs> Yahoo still. It's like Google, but <laughs> even older. still exists. Though. Yeah, I know, but yeah. no one uses it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, today it's this search engine, of course, but uh, at the very beginning, it was just a manually curated list of the most popular web pages. They would literally manually collect a list of web pages and display on their web page for people to visit and, you know, find links. And what they wanted to test was that in the early days of the internet, people did find it difficult to navigate the internet. Because, I mean, Google wasn't around. Yahoo was one of the first ones trying to help people find content online. So, I mean, it's far from a search engine, but it's helping people find content. That's the value they're offering. So that's what they wanted to validate. Another cool example, I think, is Buffer, the company that before you could schedule tweets and, and posts on Facebook and so on, you could do it through the Buffer platform. And before they even launched a product, before there was even a product, they wanted to test if this was something that people would buy. So they basically set up a landing page where they just told you like the the best parts about the product and why it was valuable to the customer. And then they had like a plan and pricing page where they just put oh, are you interested in buying this product? Just drop your email here and, and we will get back to you. And this was before they even had anything built. Yeah, I think the key there is the customer thought they were clicking plans and pricing to see actual plan and pricing. So they're really kind of lifelike scenario where a customer thinks they're going to make a purchase, but then, you know, we haven't launched yet. Uh, drop your email. So. Yeah. And the next step they did was actually to test how much people were willing to pay for it. And then they set up also three like fake tiers that you could press. And then for each of them that you pressed, you also got the same landing page of like, hey, drop your email here if you're interested. But they could track how many people clicked on the different pricing tiers. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. So in the beginning, we talked about the minimum lovable product, this new concept. So what is really the difference between an MVP and an MLP? Yeah, so we talked about MVP and I've seen recently a lot of sentiment online that MVP is old news. Now it's <laughs> MLP is the new thing. There's always new acronyms in this industry. Yeah, and basically a minimum lovable product is exactly what it sounds like. But an MVP is just the basic functionality to be able to collect feedback. but with an MLP, you have enough functionality and design also to make it possible for users to fall in love with the product. So 
a little bit more fine-tuned and finalized. And why are investors starting to ask for the MLP instead of the MVP? I think uh, a lot of the sentiment that I've seen is just there are higher demands on companies right now because as users, we are used to fine-tuned products. We use digital products a larger and larger extent in our daily lives, both privately and in our work lives. And we are used to things working quite well and looking quite good. So I would say there are some cases where an MLP definitely makes sense, but I'm still kind of on the fence because I think part of the value of having an MVP and getting stuff out early still applies. So it's almost, you could say that the MVP comes before the MLP, but investors are really looking for that lovable aspect, not just something that is viable, but something that actually customers love as well. Yeah, and that's a case where an MLP makes total sense. If you already have an MVP and then want to take kind of the the next step, I think an MLP also makes sense if there are already a lot of competitors and you acquiring users has to do with you winning over users from those competitors. So, I mean, then the quality of the product is going to matter more. And also if kind of the loyalty of the early customers is super important. For instance, if there are few but very big customers, you can't really afford to burn any bridges. So then an MLP might make sense. But I think an MLP still makes sense if time is limited and you want to be first to market or if your resources are super limited and you want to get some traction to be able to fundraise maybe. Or if just the the value of the product is so innovative and unique enough that it doesn't really matter how it looks. And we have a a lot of different stories about scrappy MVPs that we always dig out of our pocket (laughs) when we talk to founders who are set sure on building something with a lot of features when we say MVP. One of the companies that I usually pull out is a company that was called Values Match when they were at the Business Lab, and now they're called Relate. It's uh, basically a dating app where you match based on your values. And they actually started building their MVP not through any type of digital product, but doing events where they would bring together a bunch of single people. They would basically hand out pieces of papers <laughs> with like these values trees that they later also used in the app. And they would have people fill out like, which are my most important values in my life? And then they would take the papers back, then they would match people based on that, and they would like put them on dates in the <laughs> event. And it's hilarious because there's actually one couple that got married based on one of these events three years after. And they are still happily married, as I know. Wow. Mm -hmm. Talk about providing value. (laughs) Exactly, right? I think that's so smart. And the hypothesis that they wanted to test was, of course, can there be a match in love based on your values? And they proved it. Another company that we had here at the Business Lab is Sizzle. Perhaps you've seen their lunches in different grocery stores, but they're mostly in like offices and co-working spaces where you can buy their cool uh, soul food lunches from the fridges. But they started out doing just lunch events here in our office space at A House because the first thing they wanted to test was just, do people like the food? (laughs) Yeah, it was different food to what probably most people were used to having at lunch. 
Yeah, and uh, you don't need the fancy fridge or you know the cool packaging. Just have people test the lunch, and they also charge people for that those lunches from the very get go. So in the beginning, it was like forty nine crowns yeah. per lunch, right? It was super <laughs> super was nice. little. Yeah. <laughs> now they charge a bit more, yeah. mm. but it's worth it. I think another fun story is the company that I ran uh, called Simply Events that was also here at the Business Lab. And uh, our MVP, we actually built it with coding. So it's less of an MVP, I guess, but uh, we did it in like a weekend. So it was very, very scrappy still. And what we did was basically help event organizers sell tickets online, right? And what we wanted to test was if our product could handle the big sort of pressure that was the cornerstone of our sales pitch all all the time that we could handle a lot of transactions at the same time and of course that did not include having the customers themselves like design the website set up everything themselves look at the events uh, participants on some kind of back office system no 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 we set up (laughs) everything like from the from behind and then we just told them like okay what's your logo send it to us (laughs) what color do you want what uh, how many tickets at what price and then we set everything up from the back end and then basically they had to come to us all the time being like how many tickets did we sell can we get the participants list? Can we get an updated participants list? And we did that for like three months during the time that we actually built a real product. But that meant that we could sell from like day three, which was at the time, I think, very rare. Yeah. I remember when I ran my startup back when I was studying. Uh, I mean, we were just doing stuff. We didn't really have a plan. So we <laughs> didn't really think of it in terms of like an MVP. We developed this app where targeting youths, where there was a bunch of content and also like deals from local businesses or kind of like let's deal and those businesses would pay for exposure in the app and we started selling these b2b packages based on like super scrappy mock-ups that (laughs) we have designed in an app that didn't exist yet so we got a lot of revenue before even starting to develop the product and they would receive some exposures through like our social media and like events we attended and so on but I think that's a good way to really validate whether there's a need in the market is to actually charge for stuff. And I mean, a great quality of a founder is the hustle mindset. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many meetings we took. But for the few yeses we, we got, there were like thousands of no's. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it is sometimes. And this week, you chose what alumni company? Yeah, I thought I'd challenge myself by looking through the alumni list and just choosing basically at random a company I hadn't heard of before. Mm. So I chose Beach Holland Tropical AB, or The Beach, as they market themselves as. Have you seen them in real life? No, Mm. I have not. This is the first time I'm hearing of them. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Because they have a place in Huddinge. Yeah, so it's an indoor beach volley center in Huddinge. And I saw on their website that they offer training groups and courses at different levels. But it's also possible to just rent a court and play either like as a friend group or maybe as a work outing. I I saw that schools could book this as Mm. an activity. I even saw that they have some type of event concept, which you, you had to kind of book a meeting with them to hear more about. But it looked interesting. I love how this is not a very scalable product in itself it must be a while since they came into the lab 
Yeah, so they came into the business in 2005, so quite a few years ago. Mm. Also makes me very curious about how the business lab looked back then. These types of very non-scalable companies were part of the programs. But uh, in any case, they were founded by David Cabrera and Matthias Magnusson, who said on the website that part of the reason why they wanted to start this was just motivation and passion for beach volleyball um, and wanting a place to be able to play year-round for themselves. So really kind of a self-experience problem that they wanted to solve. And the passion-driven project. I love those. Yeah. And when I kind of looked at their branding and marketing and looked at a bunch of pictures from this center, I instantly got the connection. Like, this is Paddle, but like even more niche, even more (laughs) hipster. So maybe they're ahead of their time and this will soon see kind of an exponential growth curve like Paddle did. I mean, having been around for 18 years, that's quite impressive. Yeah, definitely. I think we should definitely do a team outing where we try this. I think if you're listening, take your team or your friends out as well. So, time for Carvout. Do you have anything for us this week? Yeah, everything I look at nowadays is only about great founders, great angels trying to learn for this um, course that I'm doing. And I found this clip of Jessica Livingston, one of the co-founders of Y Combinator, talking about like who are the best founders or what are the traits of the most successful founders. And she said, determination, definitely more than intelligence or like previous success in school. It doesn't say anything, but determination says it all. Understanding your users. And building a product with a great user experience, which connects very much to what we've talked about today. Not being distracted mm. and having the competence and ability to say no and focus. Being flexible-minded and basically being able to change the direction you're going in if the first one wasn't successful. And being a good leader. And she also said that being a convincing leader is super important because you're going to convince new employees, investors, partners, etc. And then you need to be able to sell your company. Mm, interesting. Mm. Would you say you have these qualities? I wish. <laughs> I practice them at least. And I think that's the best you can do, right? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> do you have them? Uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> Especially the... <laughs> I didn't see humble on the list. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, especially the humbleness, but I looked at my list and it wasn't there. <laughs> it's super interesting. I yeah. think she's super cool, Jessica Livingston. So. I love her. Yeah. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. Of course, as usual, we're back next Wednesday. And please rate us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We want to see what you think about the podcast. And please reach out if you want to suggest a topic to discuss or just want to give us feedback. We love hearing from you. Yes. Talk to you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>